0: Alright, so I thought we'd start today's show with a little bit of perspective. If you're in a band with one of the greatest lyricists of all time, and that band also features one of the greatest guitar players of all time, and on one of that band's signature songs most people think of your bass line before anything else, well, that kind of says it all, doesn't it? I'm Alex Green. And this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
1: I'm the sun, I'm the air The shyness that is criminally vocal And I'm a son of a man nothing in particular They your mouth How can we say I go about
0: the music of the Smiths, a band which featured my guest today on the program, Andy Rourke. Let me tell you a little bit about the Smiths and Andy Rourke. Well, he may have been in a band with the greats, but let's face it, Andy Rourke was one of the greats as well. The Manchester-born Rourke joined his childhood pal Johnny Mars band, the Smiths, in 1982, and he played with them until their demise in 1987. That's right, that's Rourke that you hear on every Smith's record, including The Queen is Dead, Strange Ways Here We Come, and Louder Than Bombs. After the legendary band broke up, Andy Rourke played with Sinead O'Connor, The Pretenders, Killing Joke, Badly Drawn Boy, Ian Brown of the Stone Roses, and Morrissey. Rourke also teamed up with New Order's Peter Hook and Manny of the Stone Roses and formed the band Freebase. He also played with Dolores O'Riordan of the Cranberries in the band D-A-R-K and Around the time I chatted with him, he had formed Blitz Vega with Cab Sandu, a band that also featured Johnny Marr as a special guest guitarist. Look, Rourke's life was busy and exciting, and this list of all he's done doesn't cover all he did, but it does serve as a reminder of how brilliant he was. A prowling blend of rockabilly, funk, and post-punk, Rourke's bass lines were intricate, inventive, and artful. Andy Rourke died in mid-May, and the tributes that poured in were testament after testament that this man was loved. Everything that everybody wrote was deeply moving, but my favorite was probably the one that came from the pen of Morrissey. Of Andy Rourke's passing, Moz wrote, He will never die as long as his music is heard. He didn't ever know his own power, and nothing that he played had been played by someone else. His distinction was so terrific and unconventional, and he proved it could be done. He was also very, very funny, and very happy, and post-Smiths, he kept a steady identity. Never any manufactured moves. I suppose, at the end of it all, we hope to feel that we were valued. Andy need not worry about that. All right, so here we go. My conversation with the late and absolutely great Andy Rourke. Right here, on Stereo Embers the podcast.
2: record companies um ha- how they work but actually i think now it seems like the artists have taken back control and um in a good way and uh, yeah and uh, you know i think that's a good thing it's a rebellion in a way is
0: yeah. it also like kind of a relief too, not to have to go back to that to the old system
2: it really is
0: yeah I was talking to Cav uh, from Vega, and he was saying that you guys have like 25 songs, um, and he said that you guys are just kind of erupting in creativity. It must be fun to be part of such a fertile, creative partnership.
2: It is, and, you know, it, it's been a long time since I did that. Um, my last, you know, my last venture and, and the thing that I was passionate about Passionate about the uh, the Dark Project with uh, Dolores, obviously ended like, um, ab- abruptly and, and tragically, um, and so I, I I was in shock about that, you know, for, for a long while and didn't really know where to go. It was a bit lost, and um, it turns out like me and Cav, you know, we. We met a long, a long time ago, um, and we always talked about working together, uh, but our schedules never met, you know, but, uh, and um, like I say, I was working with uh, with Dolores, and then uh, obviously uh, when she passed, um, yeah, I was looking for... Well, not initially, but I, I knew I, I had to, you know, do something fresh and 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 uh, dip my toe back in the water, so to speak. And uh, and it so happens that uh, you know, Cap's schedule was free, my my schedule was free, so um, yeah. So we yeah, so we both jumped into it. Uh, with, You know, we. Uh, hearts full uh, one you know one heavy heart but, but yeah but um, yeah with hearts full and um, and we put everything into it and uh, you know hopefully you can hear that in you know in in the music in the outcome
0: yeah I love I love what I've heard and um, it's just so fresh and and alive it's it's really exciting music
2: well thank you for that yeah yeah no, there's definitely, you know, um, every time, like, me and, me and Cav, like, work up, uh, sorry, meet up to work, um, yeah, there's definitely a spark and there's, you know, sometimes too much energy, you know, it's like, <laughs> Cav gets so excited and, um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm definitely more laid back than Cab, you know, and, and uh, uh, laid back, than, you know, more than most people, I suppose. And um, so. I don't know. It's just uh, it, it's a great combination. Anyway, that's all I can say. Uh, and, you know, we're loving um, making these recordings together. Uh, we recently did, uh, you know, an Abbey Road session. Which, we, which was filmed, so we're gonna release an EP from that. And we did it all uh, totally live, old school, like nobody does anymore, no overdubs, uh, you know, not even overdub, you know, backing vocals or anything. We did we did it to, totally live in uh, Studio Two in Abbey Road, and it was fantastic, you know, we all had goosebumps. And uh, what... I, I can't say enough about that, that place. It's so inspirational. As soon as you walk in the door, you get you get goosebumps. Yeah. Just thinking about that place.
0: How is your relationship to your instrument? I know, um, I, w- I imagine that you were one of those guys. I don't know, but when you were a kid, were were you the kind of guy who would practice for hours in your room?
2: I was that guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I had um, my mum because I like every Christmas like from whenever or birthday my my birthday's in January but, but every Christmas since I can, rem- can remember um, I was like I want a music a musical instrument so I had like a it started off with like a plastic saxophone and then it went to like a, I don't know, like a plastic trumpet. Then I was like, I want to, and then, I don't know, I saw something on TV. It might have been like the Beatles or the Stones or something like that. And I said, I want a guitar. And and, um, so for Christmas, my parents bought me a plastic guitar. And I was so pissed off. I was like, "No, I, was like, I can't work with this." And my dad tried to tune it. I think he, he tuned like every tri- every string like bong 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 bong. So everything was in E basically. I don't I don't know how he even managed it because he's you know it's a little bit tone deaf. But um, anyway, it wasn't working. So uh, to cut a long story short, so I. Uh, uh, My birthday, I think on my eighth birthday, I got um, a a real uh, acoustic guitar. It's a a nylon, strong, classical guitar. And it just so happened that my dad's secretary's daughter uh, played guitar. So she came around and uh, gave me some basic lessons, like, you know. E-A-D-G, you know, basically. These are the basic chords. And um, I think uh, she gave me a couple of songs to reference. I think it was like Ralph McTell's Street... Um, oh, no. you um, did the, the, the Streets of London. It was... Um, I think it was Kirsten McCall's dad, wasn't it? I um, think so, yeah. I think it was you and McCall. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah, learning stuff like that. And then um, my breakthrough was um, just listen because my mum used to uh, constantly listen to the radio when she was ironing, when she was cooking or whatever. And so that, um, I started playing along with the radio. And, you know, the tunings, you know, variated a little bit. Um, but once... Once I worked that out, then there was no stopping with it, really. And then, you know, I'd I'd buy records that I liked, and then I, I'd learn those. I'd learn the bass lines. Like for instance, like Japan. Like me and Johnny, uh, you know, in the the very early eighties, we into Japan, and so and my my first bass was a fretless bass, so. yeah, so I learned all Mick Karn's bass lines and fucking became you know almost obsessive about them. Um, and then yeah, and and then you know the Smiths arrived. Uh, I bought a fretted bass, and but uh, but I think I took all those you know influences with me. Like, there was Mick Connon, there was, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know, Roxy Music, and Eno. You know.
0: I think that Mick from Japan is a pretty underrated bassist.
2: Yeah. Yeah, God rest his soul. Yeah. yeah. I think he was amazing. You know, he, me and Johnny went to Forge in in Manchester. And, no, he always stole the show, you know, and... We used to laugh about it then, you know, about his Chinese slippers. He used to do, like the, He used to have like the um. What do you call it? Like the dry ice, like the, the fake fog, like below you know, that, that hangs on the stage, and um, and Mick had his Chinese slippers on and he'd do this walk, so, but it mm. looked like he wasn't actually walking, and he would just like glide across the stage
1: <laughs>
0: while
2: was playing amazing bass lines and uh, yeah and I was like wow yeah yeah but, very
0: underrated very underrated player um
2: no seriously
0: so for you you were that guy you graduated from plastic instruments by the time you were 8 and you were that guy who worked hard and you were disciplined are you still that guy are, are you someone who practices um quite a bit
2: um I'm a guy who practices uh when I pl- I play every day. I've you know, I've I've recently bought a new acoustic guitar, this Yamaha Trans Acoustic, which is great. It's got like built in reverb and chorus and stuff like that. Um but yeah, I pick I pick up every day but um yeah, I can't help it, yeah. It's just there. Um, you know, play, right next to me now there's, um, there's six guitar um, well two bases uh, an electric guitar and an acoustic guitar, so yeah, pick up yeah every day when I can, but then, um, I like rehearsal mode and like when you know when the pressure is on and and then I really um get into the zone and i suppose I like pressure because um yeah, I'm. I'm naturally you know kind of if somebody doesn't crack the whip i'm I'm a lazy guy <laughs> so, like, yeah,
0: but for somebody so, who's a, as relaxed as you are, uh, I think you're built for pressure,
2: yeah, exactly, yeah, I can take it
0: you can take it
2: although, I can take it, yeah, although you know I do get really you know I do get really nervous you know um, for any uh public. Performance. Uh, I think that's a good thing. I think it, 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 if a musician doesn't get nervous before a gig, then there's something wrong um, because you need that adrenaline. You need that. You know, it's almost like a drug to, to walk on stage and uh, and have the crowd uh, uh, expecting something from you.
0: So overconfidence is dangerous because you kind of take your eye off the ball and you're not prepared for any kind of mistake that can happen.
2: I couldn't really comment because I've never been overcome. I've never been overconfident, but I'm sure it's not a good thing. Overconfidence. I'm sure you lose sight of things and, you know, um, yeah, you lose sight, which, yeah. It's a bad thing.
0: How do you continue to challenge yourself artistically?
2: Right now, I'm just, I just try to focus on, you know, what I'm doing with Blitz Vega, um, and, and make that the best thing that I've, that I've ever done. And um, we're going back to L.A. Um, or i sorry, I, I should say I'm going back to L.A. Uh, next week. I'm going to even uh, re-record some of the bass lines, and um, we're going to finish the L- the LP as well. Um, starting next week, um, but yeah, it's a. I don't know. How does one? How? How do people push themselves? I think, like I explained earlier, it's like when. When I'm under pressure, I'm, I'm at my best. When, I, when I'm when i shit in my pants, I'm at my best. <laughs> it really brings out the best in me. Not the best in my pants, but no, no. the best in me. Yeah.
0: How do you think you are in terms of collaborative capacity?
2: I don't know. Do, do, you, do you mean specifically or...
0: Yeah, like like can you can you take a note, you know, like if someone says to you, "Oh, that that didn't sound good." Can you are you okay with that? Are you can you take feedback and can you give feedback in a way that um feels healthy?
2: I do. Yeah. I I can take criticism and yeah. I, I'll address it to myself. Um but um when you say as, as a collaborator, so you mean like working with other other people? Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. Yeah, because I'm you know Mr. I'm Mr. Laid Back. Um, you know I've had the honour to work with you know Battler John Boy with Ian Brown with Sinead O'Connor with Dolores obviously um, and you know a lot of other bands you know here and there no matter how briefly, but, um, I would always say I was never the pain in the ass in the room. I was always like the, uh, the guy who was trying to keep everything calm.
0: Do you think that the key to a successful collaboration is patience or just listening? I, I imagine being so laid back, uh, makes you good at both of those things.
2: Being so laid, laid back,
0: uh, people, um,
2: can take advantage or you know look at you as vulnerable um and that stung me in the ass a couple of times um you know i'm I'm not going to go into that you know there's obvious um reasons that that i say that um but i can't change you know I, i am who i am
0: where do you think the um I don't consider myself a stressy kind of guy but, but I can get excitable. Um I wish I had your laid back uh <laughs> attitude. Where did that come from? Where where did that where did that originate from do you think?
2: Good question. I don't know. I've just always been like that, you know. But you know, don't you know, don't get me wrong. I do have my crazy days when I do get stressed out you know i i've not got it down perfect yet but um um yeah usually i can yeah i can keep calm in situations and and, and keep everybody else calm
0: did you uh, during the period that you were talking about after the dark project ended so tragically were you able to play music or was it did you need to take a break i mean how did you handle artistically how did you handle what was surely a tricky and challenging time
2: yeah i would say it's, well it's still a trauma now you know and uh, i'll i'll miss her forever she was such an amazing talent and i loved working with her so much um but no you, you just have to keep going don't you you can't down, you can't crumble. Um, so yeah, just, I just kept bl- kept playing music, whether it be just me on the guitar every day with nobody else in the room, you know, just, or listening to music. Um, I listened to the dark music that, that we did together, which I don't know if that was a good idea. That just made me even more Upset, but yeah. um, but I loved it so much that you know, that, um, yeah, I kept on listening to it. Um, um, yeah, it was such a tragedy.
0: Yeah, I I don't think I've even got my head around it.
2: Um, no, I still haven't.
1: I'm
0: yeah, really still. yeah, and, and by the way, I love that. I love that dark music so much. Um, oh, thanks. Um, yeah. You know, and and it just felt like, oh, this this is gonna be limitless. Like this is gonna be like just a a body of work to be reckoned with. So, um, you know,
2: yeah, we were just getting
0: started, right? You know? Right. That's what it felt yeah. like. It was the beginning of something powerful. Yeah. Um. How yeah. how are you in terms of? uh creatively are you hard on yourself are you a perfectionist like what is in terms of your work ethic and how you approach it uh where do you fall in terms of perfectionism in what you do um
2: i'm i am my uh, biggest critic i would say yeah i never i never think i'm doing the best that i can but I think that's a good thing, you know. And I think that's my advice to like every upcoming musician or any musician in the world. I I don't think you ever you can never There's never a point where you say, "Okay, now I know everything," and and then you stop. You know, there's, every day there's always something new to learn and something to inspire you and something, you know, to uplift you.
0: parts. And I wondered if it was the perfectionism or is that where that's coming from?
2: Well, yeah. Yeah. Of course, I want I want it. If I'm going to put something out in public, I want it to be the best to the best of my ability, you know. And um, like some of the stuff that that we recorded initially was, you know, it was a little bit rushed, you know. Few of the first takes at the House of Blues, which was a great studio, by the way. But um, yeah, it was just yeah, it was a rush. And now it's kind of a luxury to be able to have the option to go back and and perfect this and and bring out um, a, a record that me and Cap are, are really happy with.
0: You know, I. I'm a writer, I have a couple of books out and when I do readings, Andy, I will change some of the words because I'm just perpetually unhappy with, with what's out there. <laughs> I'm always trying to monkey with it and change it around and, and omit yeah. and revise. When you listen to records that you have been on, whether it's what it doesn't matter, do you do you still feel like ah oh, I could have done that better? Like are you that hard on yourself? Some of them, yes.
2: I think. Yeah, but um I don't know. With I think, hmm, I think with the Smiths records, I think I kind of nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, and I, you know, so, but that's the one thing, you know, if, if I wake up in the morning, I can pat myself on the back on that one. Um, and then, I don't know. Yeah. Other stuff here, I'm not going to name any. Any projects, but yeah, these things that you think, oh, I could have done better, a better job on that, or that was rushed, or, you know, I don't know. Um, that That's the thing about recording, you know. But, you know, once it's down there, it's done. I know.
1: Yeah,
0: And that's kind of a challenge, I think. I, I even think a lot of authors will you know, a a 40th anniversary of a book will come out and they'll add an extra chapter, and you're like, yeah, you just wrote that. Like, because you're you're still fiddling with it, you know? Um, Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I think artistically, you know, it keeps you hungry.
2: Yeah, and I think you're still dealing with those emotions, you know, because it it, it is, you know, um, art and music and, you know, it's... uh, very emotional, you know. So, of course, it's, yeah, you're going to question yourself and, and, and double-question yourself. And, and, yeah.
0: How how competitive of a guy are you? You came up in a time where there are some pretty dazzling uh, bass players uh, floating around, whether it's, you know, Peter Hook or Manny, or it, do, it doesn't matter. They were amazing players. Were you a competitive guy, or could you listen to someone who was crushing it and go... Oh, that's great! It has nothing to do with me, but that's awesome.
2: I was never competitive with like with money or hockey. I just, you know, they were always my friends, my, you know, and so yeah, there was never any competition. Um, I love to like in, you know like my past. I just love to listen to like Motown and stuff like that. Um. Uh, Hamilton, Bohannon, you know, there's a track called "Let Let Start the Dance," which is like one of my favorite bass songs ever. And Chic, obviously. Yeah. And you know, we, me, like me and Johnny, we're really into our like like funky but cool records. Yeah, so like Bohannon, Chic, and oh, I can't remember. Um, but I um, now now I'm rambling.
0: No, no, you're not <laughs> But you're not competitive. You you, you admire even, good work.
2: Okay, even stuff like average white band, you know. Yeah. Stuff like that, you know, which you know white people playing funk, you know, um level forty two, which I'm I'm embarrassed to say, but I you know, I, I was at one point you know, impressed by the... No, because I was trying every style of, you know, bass playing. So I so thought Mark King does, like, we can do a mean, funky bass, you know, for a white guy. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and that probably helped me with... um. I don't know. It sounds like you know barbarism begins. No, I'm I'm not sorry. Rewind, rewind. No, um, so I'm not comparing barbarism begins at home with a love of boy two <laughs> <song>, but, um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, um, okay. You know what? Rewind, rewind again. Okay. Uh, okay. So I'll tell you my. Uh, my first introduction when I first got passionate about funky bass it was school days
0: what year would that have been
2: Stanley Clark I think it was like 1980 I don't know now do you want to google it
0: I'm thinking it would have been well I know what you're talking about but so that that really turned you on
2: yeah it was was, yeah because it was a bit of everything because he, he wasn't just playing like the funky slap bass. He was playing like like fingered bass. He was doing like like the top of the neck, like kind of solos, showing off stuff. Stuff that I never did actually. But he just really inspired me to be a bass player and and um, to pay attention actually to to bass. Whenever I listen to any song, I the only thing that after that, I think I, I could only tune in to, to bass, and then I would, I would rate the song on how the bass line was. Um, XTC, I think, were a great underrated band as well. Um, not funky at all, but um, I think they had some great bass lines.
0: I talked to Colin, and he told me that he his hero was McCartney. That probably doesn't come as much surprise to you.
2: No, well, you know, it's McCartney. Um, I think, um, yeah, I love McCartney. I think he's, yeah, he's in the top three. Um, I think Bill Wyman gets a, a bad rap. I don't know why, because I, I think he, um, for me listening to Stones, Stone's Records, he bought out a little bit of the funky in me. I think he, he's quite—he's pretty funky for a white guy.
0: <laughs> and there was nothing wrong he, with Mark King, right? Like Mark King is legitimately great.
2: I know, yeah, but I—I would—I would put Bill Wyman. Both him, yeah, obviously. Mm. Um. And
0: yeah. You know. I saw. I mean, I mean
2: these obvious to you know, Jackal Pastoreas. Yeah. So that was, like my first bass was a fretless bass, so um, so I was kind of obsessed with fretless bass for a while. But um, what I think that did was give me my melody, which when I played a fretted bass, it uh, I, I still. I, I was still playing it like a, a fretless bass. So it, it gave, I was playing like melodies uh, uh, on the bass rather than just the bass lines, if you understand. Yeah. But it, the, the bass note.
0: So that gave it more like harmonic texture? Yeah. I think the fact that I learned on a fretless bass
2: gave me, uh, yeah, I was just sh- playing around more. And then, and then when I took it to the fretted lads, I was playing in in the same style, but it was with frets and with a um, and with a with a plectrum or a pick or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's what um, crafted the my distinctive sound, if you will.
0: I saw John Taylor with Duran Duran not not too long ago, and he was kind of dazzling. He he seems like he likes Chic quite a bit.
2: Yeah, I think uh, it, it sounds like we have similar influences. Um, he's um, a great bass player. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's
0: yeah. he's he's something else. I w- I was really impressed, but he they just are a funk band now they came across and they did these sort of extended jams and they were like a really powerful funk band thanks to him ah yeah yeah
2: no he's really on it
0: he's really on it do you have days where if you don't play does it feel strange to you not to pick up an instrument every day are you that disciplined
2: I wouldn't call it discipline I'd call it a vocation yeah no Mm. yeah yeah I just yeah I pick up the guitar or the bass whenever I can um and sometimes when you're traveling it's, you know, it's not possible. So yeah. At those times, yeah, it does just you know, gives me a little bit of anxiety. Ah
0: Yeah, right. Right. It's what it's what you yeah. do. Um Yeah.
2: It's 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 a stress reliever for me, you know, and I just love the sound yeah.
0: How Playing is the this par- partnership with cav is so cool i mean what i love about the music is it i mean it's like you guys are friends and you can hear that in the music it's just so alive um do you feel utterly energized by by this band
2: i do yeah you know and it's i think i said earlier yeah first time in a long time and um we've We've overcome many a fucking hurdle to get to this point. And, uh, and now I feel, you know, you know, at the point where there's no stopping us. And, um, um, I think next year is going to be a great year. We're going to do lots of gigs and festivals and, um, and, you know, obviously release our record. Um, and um,
1: yeah.
0: What's the secret? Do you think, um, I, I love that you guys are pals and I love that you're pals with Hookie and, and, and Manny, and you have maintained friendships for, for over 30 years in this business, which is not easy. Is it not being competitive? Is it being supportive of your fellow artists? Is it as simple as that?
2: Friendship, friendship first, honesty, right. Like, every you now, no secrets with anybody um and support and and love is full,
0: yeah, because it, growing up in california i'm I'm from San Francisco, and I always thought like you know, and you and I are around the same age and and I always thought you know the Manchester guys there was a real brotherhood there, it sure seemed that way from all these miles away um and it's nice to hear that that uh that is true, yeah. There was never a, uh,
2: a rivalry. Um, well, actually, you know, th- there wasn't a rivalry because we all arrived at, like, different, like obviously, like Joy Division uh, was, you know, predated the Smiths. Uh, New Order, I fucking loved, still love, Um But it was a completely different... Uh, genre from the Smiths, so there was, you know, no competition there. But still, you know, um, uh, um, mutual admir- admiration, and yeah, Stone Stone Roses, same thing, you know. They, uh, it, it came after the Smiths, and but just love those guys, and. It, it was a pleasure working with Ian on, on his uh, solo stuff, as it was a pleasure to work um, very briefly, like me, Manny, and Hookie on uh, this project called Freebase.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know, that was just a thing that we tried, and uh, I don't know if it worked or not, but anyway, we enjoyed it. That's the main thing.
0: I liked it. Did you have any contact or any run-ins with Marky e. Smith ever?
2: Uh, oh, I used, yeah. I used to hang out with Mark a lot. Yeah, because one of my best friends, uh, Simon w- Wilson he was uh, the drummer from yeah. the four. Well, one of one of the uh, twenty drummers. I don't know. <laughs> but he did the uh, he did the the book. You you can drum, but you can't hide. But yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I used to hang out with uh, Carl Burns as well, like the the original drummer. And um, but yeah, used to hang out with Marquis e. Smith. Used to hang out with Bricks when they first hooked up, you know, as a couple. And um, he was always nice to me, but, and but he was never a big fan. Of the, he always made it clear. He, he Mark, uh, he was yeah, he always made it clear. He wasn't a big fan of this Smiths. Thought Morrissey was a cunt, and um but he thought I was okay. He liked me. <laughs>
0: so I was, I was, all right. <laughs> but uh, that's that's kind of cool. Can live with that. I like that though. Yeah. Like he he's honest with you. He's sort of saying like I like you. I don't really like your band, but I like you. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's he's one of my favorite guys, so I, that's why I ask. He he's just yeah, God uh,
2: bless you know, his soul.
0: Yeah. Um, Andy, you're a good man. I I've always wanted to chat with you, and and I appreciate you taking the time. I'm really excited about Blitz Vega. It, it's just such an invigorating blast of rock and roll, and I just love it.
2: Well, thank you for that. Thank you, and I'm, I'm glad you did it.
0: face that anything andy rourke did what's not to dig the guy was a titan rest easy sir rest easy you can follow my exploits at alexgreenonline.com you can also follow me on twitter at embers editor or on instagram at emberspodcast, podcast or just email me editor at stereoembersmagazine.com don't be shy write me an email Bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station, learn about what makes us tick. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, and tell all your friends all across the world. Let's close the show with a longer listen to How Soon Is Now. Admire the genius of Andy Rourke right here on Stereo Embers the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.
1: I am the sun and the air I'm a shine that is criminally vulgar. I am son of nothing in particular. Hey,